Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 74. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide of financial freedom. On this episode, I talked to my friend, Garrett Jones, who's a money manager and has been in the money management industry for decades. Garrett is one of the smartest people I know about managing money, and he shares my philosophy, too, about cycles and bubbles. And we talk at length in this conversation that you're about to hear about where we've been, where we're going, and where some of the best places to invest in the future are going to be, and some places to definitely avoid investing. So I'm excited to share with you my interview with Garrett Jones. I'm so excited today to have my friend, no relation, Garrett Jones on with us today. Hi, Garrett. How are you doing? Good, Linda. I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Great. Excellent. Garrett, we had you on before. I wanted to have you back. You're so insightful. You are someone who believes in cycles like I do, and you've been in the industry for several decades, and you've successfully called many tops and bottoms of the stock market. I know right now you're seeing some interesting things. We wanted to get you on the show and hear what is it that's going on right now that people should know about. Well, it's interesting you mentioned believing in cycles. Uh, My view on believing in cycles is kind of like believing in Wednesdays. You know, uh, they're there. (laughs) They they happen. They're reality. Um, I think there's two things that are really important in kind of a top-down approach and just to understand the the framework and the groundwork uh, which we live in, and that is we live on a planet that's defined by cycles and duality. Uh, By that, I mean, you know, duality is in everything, rich, poor, tall, short, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Republican, Democrat, war, peace, you know, it it goes, it's endless. And cycles are, too. the thing that I think is most important right now, uh, particularly with in view of calling tops and bottoms, and calling bottoms isn't that important because calling you know the markets are driven by greed and by fear. So if you call a bottom, you know, or you miss a bottom, you're missing an opportunity. Uh, in calling a top, uh, it's a different situation. You miss a top, and and you have a price to pay. You know exactly. If, yeah, so it, there's a difference here. One's an opportunity cost, one's a real cost. And to answer your question, as far as this point in time, uh, we've got a lot of cycles that are coming together, and that really surprises me. Um, cycles of the shorter term uh, do come together. In other words, I mean, let's take something we can all agree on uh, with respect to cycles, which is time. I mean, we just had a new millennium. If you break that down, you go to centuries or decades and then down to years and seasons and months and weeks and days and hours and minutes and seconds. So that stuff we all can relate to um, because it's time and, it's, and it is a cycle. It unfolds the same way. I mean, 
you have 24 hours in a day. That's just the way it works. And we're all comfortable with that because of repetition. You know, we see that happen all the time. But when you go out longer in time, and the cycle that I'm going to talk about, one of my favorite sayings, uh, just because of the truth involved in, in, in the phrase, is every 40 years or so, something bad happens. And every 80 years or so, something really bad happens. Uh-huh. And when you hear that, you go, gee, that's cute. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and, and what that refers to is if you think of a cycle, if you go back to the Depression, let's say, let, let's pick a time that's a good starting point. I mean, to me, uh, you know, every, most people know the stock market topped in 1929. You had the crash that led into the Great Depression. The stock market bottomed in 1932. It lost 90% of its value. And so that's the bottom. But the economy didn't bottom until 1933. And the time that it bottomed, I mean, if I was going to pick a bottom, was when the banks closed. What, what would be worse? And that was, you know, the following year. So the stock market always leads the economy. But here's my point. If you come forward 40 years from 1933, the bottom of the economy, you hit 1973. What happened then? Nixon was president, Whitegate, Watergate happened, and, um, and we had the worst recession in 73 and 74 since the Great Depression. And now, where are we? We're 40 years later. So if you don't know anything about cycles, um, that's not going to mean anything. But if you do know something about cycles, and particularly if you know something about that cycle, then that's the one that I would suggest uh, to be aware of because of the second part of that phrase. Every 40 years or so, something bad happens. Well, that already happened. And frankly, from our perspective now, gee, that's not bad. That's when the market really bottomed in 74, and it's been up ever since with a, a few <laughs> turns every, every now and then. Um, so... That's what happens with people. They think, oh, well, gee, it's at, it's at a new high now. There's nothing to worry about. But the point is, you put the 40 years on top of that 74, and you get right to where we are now. And the thing that's in the comment is something really bad happens. And what does that refer to? It refers to depression. You know, let's, let's not be politically correct. Let's call a spade a spade. This 80-year cycle is a depression cycle. And it's a cycle... It has been, oddly enough, uh, very repetitive in, in U.S. history. I mean, it hasn't been very repetitive because we've only been around for 240 years or whatever it's been. But you've had this upcoming depression that I think is in our future, unfortunately, is merely history repeating itself like the one that happened in the 1930s and then the one back on either side of, a, of the Civil War. So it's very clear time-wise. And in between those, you've had those 40-year periods. So that, to me, is what I think is most important. Um, you see right now everything confirming this. We're, we've, we've got the greatest debt of any country uh, that's ever been on the planet. Um, and, and, we've got, and that debt has created a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, what these are is a debt cycle. When you came out of 1933, you didn't have any debt because, frankly, what happened is everybody bellied up on their debt and it was wiped out, which is one of the positive things that a depression does. A depression is not actually that bad a thing. It's a thing that gets you back to, number one, it clears the slate, so it wipes out a lot of debt. 
uh, it brings prices down to remarkably low levels. Uh, if you think about it, if you're at the bottom of the depression, everything's going to go up, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not supposedly fun when you're there, but the reality is everything's going to be up from that point in time. And it gets people thinking right, too. Uh, uh, right now, you've got a lot of people that feel that they're entitled. Uh, you've got a lot of people that, that, that feel a lot of things. Uh, working, you know, putting in a, a hard day's work for, you know, the old saying, uh, you know, for a dollar's wages or whatever. That's not a prevalent feeling. Now, people are looking to cut corners and do a lot of things. So what a depression does is when you go through that, it kind of cleans everything up, gets people thinking right again, gets people you know, ready to work hard and put in good, uh, you know, and, and you also get rid of a lot of um, things that are fairly distasteful, like uh, uh, lie, lies and corruption and things of that nature. Yeah, so it uh, flushes out a lot of the bad stuff yeah, and allows, it does. So, allows a cleansing. But, you know, I think what's really interesting is that right now the dollar's so strong and that surprised so many people. Because, you know, we've, we've heard about our debt, we've heard about, you know, the dollar's going to collapse someday, it's going to have much less value, but yet it continues to be really strong. What do you have to say about that? Well, you know, the market has a wonderful way of uh, drawing us in, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, we've got a lot of, uh, just mentioning the new millennium uh, in 2000, so many interesting things have happened just in that small period of time. I mean, if you think about going into the new millennium, uh, you just before that happened, you had tech stocks. You had this incredible wild tech stock rally, and it was a, it was a new economy. It wasn't like anything before. We were going from the industrial age to the information age, and it's, you know, it's a new economy. This is different. And the reality was it drew everybody into the market. And, you know, was, were technology stocks a good value? No, they were a Definitely horrible <laughs> value. You know, you know right. literally, uh, P.E. ratios of 1,000 and higher just aren't, <laughs> I'm <laughs> kidding. But, I mean, you know, P.E. ratios, when you don't even have earnings and something selling for more than, uh, than uh, a, company, a company that's got a lot of uh, strong assets. But that's what happens in a bull market. Unfortunately, the motivators for markets up and down are fear and greed. It's interesting, both of them are negative motivators, right? So are you saying that the U.S. dollar is kind of in that same sort of bubble? Yeah, I mean, you've got a, you've got a, a situation where people were driven to tech stocks. And, uh, and what happened with the dollar is, first of all, it got kind of beat up for a while. And uh, and the news, you know, the news always precedes it. So the news was, gee, the dollar's going to be terrible. It's it's going to go to you know worthlessness, and all of a sudden it, it made a bottom and uh, and and started to rally. And sometimes you have uh, an outcome uh, for all the wrong reasons. You know, I mean, we're seeing that in the stock market now. Is the stock market going up? You know, because. Um, you know, we have no debt, and we're the only country out there that's working at a profit, and, and uh, we've got a positive surplus instead of a deficit. No, no. And we have monumentally great leadership. I mean, regardless of whether you're a Republican or Democrat, I'm talking about corporate leadership and so forth. That's not the reason that the market's going up. And, and with the dollar, you have kind of the same situation. It, um, it got sold off. Everybody hated it. 
and all of a sudden when you start looking around the world vis-a-vis everybody else and particularly Europe, all of a sudden the dollar started looking pretty good. And, uh, and we, the United States, are always thought of, at least through the last century, as being kind of the bastion for safety. And, uh, you know, old habits uh, uh, take a while to die. So, so we're, we're kind of getting that, that type of situation in the dollar. And uh, I think it's going to be problematic. I think all fiat currencies are going to be problematic. But right now it's a vis-a-vis situation. It's like, gee, what looks better at the moment, the euro or the dollar? Well, the dollar, because it appears that our economy is doing better, because we've been doing this QE situation, which ironically is trying to cure a debt problem by adding more debt. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, as you know, it's a, it's a temporary situation. Um, but... But we're getting, it's part of the psychological thing, and it's part of what's bringing money into the stock market. You know, uh, you've got a situation now on the stock market, uh, you know, if I'm talking about uh, a depression coming up and planning for that, it's like, how do you plan for it? You go, well, in the past, it was very easy, really. I mean, uh, anytime we had a bear market in the past, um, you thought, well, you know what, I'm just going to take and put my money in money market funds or I'm going to put them in treasury bills, and at least it'll be safe. So I won't have to worry about losing money. Uh, all I have to worry about is when the time gets right to be able to invest again and it's safe to uh, come back in the market. And, and you and I have been able to do that our entire lives without any fear, for the most part, of anything bad happening. Now... When we've got one of these 80-year time periods coming up, and it's going to be imperative to do something safe, it's kind of ironic, because now you can take people like you and me that have been in this business for a long time and are fairly aware of what's going on, and you think, gee, uh, where do you put your safe money? Right. And, you know, interest rates have been held artificially low for so long by the Federal Reserve that people are sort of getting used to the idea that that's normal. And it's not normal. It's not the way that the economy normally works. And it's it's really gotten a lot of things out of kilter because it's artificial. Do you agree? I do. It's and and, uh, you know, it's never happened in history. Right. You've never had interest rates. So you've never been able to. Uh, I'm talking about safe money now, so not, not, and please understand, not treasury bonds. Bonds aren't safe. Bonds have interest rate risk and, and they have repayment of principal risk as well at various times, like every 80 years or so, uh, <laughs> and occasionally every 40 years. But you've got a situation now that's very interesting if you look at it. You think, I've got to get into safe money somehow, uh, at least with my safe money. How do I do that? And so if you decide that you're going to go into money market funds and, and or treasury bills and you invest there, after a while you go, hey, I, I'm not getting, I'm not earning any income. I, I can't, I can't do this. It doesn't look like we have any inflation, but every time I go to the grocery store, things are more expensive. So I, I got to, what do you have to do? What it does is it takes safe money and it forces it into the stock market. And then you look at things like bonds. Uh, you and I know that bonds aren't a safe vehicle, and just to answer that real quickly, the reason they aren't 
is just what you said. Interest rates are at the lowest that they've ever been. So if they're going to make a big move in one direction or the other, what direction would that be? Well, uh, maybe they can go a little lower. Maybe they'll get negative like they are in Switzerland right now. But if, but sooner or later, they're going to get positive, and they're probably going to get positive with a vengeance, and when that happens, it destroys bonds. And, and negative in Switzerland, meaning you're actually having to pay to have the bank hold the money for you. You're not getting interest on the money. Is that right? Yeah. You want to say, I've got my safe money. I guess I'm going to go take it down to uh, my, my union bank or you know Credit Suisse and make my deposit and say, hey, uh, here's my $100,000 or whatever it is in your wonderful bank. Uh, how much interest am I going to get? And I go, well, no, that's, that's an interesting question. You're going to have the privilege of paying us a quarter of a percent to put your money in our bank so we can go out and spend it. That's amazing. <laughs> I have never, ever remembered a time in history when that has occurred. I guess the banks just don't want the responsibility of having all the liquidity. Is that it? And having to have the the regulations and the, um, you know, the... the they've now got new regulations on what they have to protect and what they have to do with all that cash. So now they're not comfortable with it. Yeah, I mean, the funny part is where we don't have, in other words, you and I legitimately going out there uh, because we want to give good advice to people and, and help them do the right thing and we have an awareness of, of some of these problems. And what we want to do at that time is, is do a good job for people, and we find this conundrum that happens that, gosh, for, first of all, you should get your money safe. Let's build the pyramid. Let's go to the base. So let's get your money safe. And the question is, if, if you're not paying attention, then you just do what everybody else does, and you throw it in money market funds, and you throw it in the treasury, treasury bills. But the problem there uh, is twofold. Number one, if you put it in money market funds, Literally, the the vehicles, the paper, the AAA paper, in most money market funds, is not worth the paper it's written on. So sooner or later, in other words, if nobody bothers to question that, then ignorance is bliss and you don't have a problem. But every now and then, something happens like 2008. Now, what happened in 2008? Oh, we had this horrible thing and it affected blue chip stocks and it made people lose their homes and everything else. But you know what? Only one sector of the economy, with all this debt, it's only one sector that came into question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And that sector was real estate and real estate paper. You know what was happening at that time? The guys in the money market funds and the guys with other forms of debt that were just as messed up as real estate was were sitting there wiping their brow going, I'm glad they were looking at real estate and not as and not at us. Because what you would have had would have been a meltdown in money market funds and then you really got a problem. So somewhere down the road, they haven't replaced all these money market funds with now good quality paper that, that everybody can pay back. I mean the whole point of debt is the reality of debt is very simple. Debt is and I'm not to me in my mind, I'm not just buying an instrument and it's paying me money. That's what happens with most people. My mind is kinda of like what if I lend money to a friend, and it's important money to me, serious money? My whole question is, my is he going to pay me back? Right, what, it's, it's the whole Will Rogers thing. That he is going to pay me back. He has the whole Will Rogers quote: "I'm not so concerned about the return on my money as the return of my money." Exactly, and, and this is the time. If you think about it, when was he saying that? Around the time of the depression. Mm -hmm. 
where are we now? We're one cycle ahead of that. That's what all of us should be thinking now. And here's the problem, and getting back to the, to the Swiss bank question. We, you and I, as nosy as we may be to try to find good things, literally, if we're both honest, we can't come up with a safe money investment like a treasury bill or a money market fund used to be because you've got two problems. Number one, we're not going to get any payment for our money, so that kind of nullifies investing it. If you don't get any return on it, why would you take it out of your own hands and put it somewhere? And number two, if you're looking to put it in somewhere safe and you know that the money, that the, the investments that they're making with your money are not safe, you've really got a problem. And so all of a sudden, and for that reason, by the way, my, my point is, when you have that problem, it's a legitimate problem, and don't the banks, aren't they having to do the same thing that we are on, on a much bigger scale? Absolutely. They're having to invest too, aren't they? Mm -hmm. So when they have to invest, they don't have anywhere to put it either. That's right. And that's the problem. Well, and that drives a lot of people into dividend-paying stocks because they think, oh, well, they're paying high dividends and the stock market's rising, so that looks good. But the problem is they're not looking at the risk that they're really taking. And they're they're looking at yield and trying to reach for yield, but they're really increasing their risk, aren't they? Yeah, and there's one other thing, too. I, knowing you as well as I do and you knowing me, I know you're not going to do something something stupid. It's certainly not intentional because you're going to think about it. And, and hopefully I, you know, I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, the difference is banks don't do that, do they? <laughs> in other words, these are the fiduciaries. These are the people that you and I and everybody else trust to safely manage money. And what are these guys doing? They're strapping on the six guns and going and shooting things out of the sky with your money. And by the way, why are they doing it? Well, I guess there's something. I guess there's a difference between managing your money and somebody else's, at least in their eyes. And uh, that's what happened. Uh, that led us into the problem in 2008. They got greedy. They made stupid investments. And the problem is, they, if you and I make a stupid investment, we know who pays for it, don't we? We do. Comes right out of our pocket. But they've got friends due to, you know, political connections. And lo and behold, who winds up paying for their mistakes? Well, gosh, we couldn't let anything happen to these banks. Uh, so let's just, let's just hit the American taxpayer. I mean, gosh, we took away his home. Let's get some of his money. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't mean to be like that. No, but, well, that but, was true in, in 2008, 2009 when we had the crisis. But now they're talking about there's no bank that's not too big to fail. So now they're telling us that they are going to let a large bank fail. And I, I'm totally expecting in this next downturn that we will see a big bank fail. What do you think? I think I, I don't know how you avoid it. You know, and it's not, and it's not just a failure. Of, it's kind of like an epidemic. That's what. That's the difference between the. Let me go back to that 40 and 80 year thing, so it makes sense just real quickly. You're coming out of the depression in 1933. Nobody's paying anybody else back because nobody's got any money, so your debt is, you know, it basically fails. Uh, 
uh, and bonds and lots of things. This happens with all sorts of things, and they default, and then they throw them away, and that's it. And so you're coming out of a situation with no debt. You're having people that are scared to death, so they're not investing. Then they've got to, you know, they've got to back the currency and make the currency strong and make the dollar as good as gold. And pretty soon, slowly over time, people become confident, and business picks up, and that's when debt. And then, in order to make your business grow, that's when you start to take debt. And this debt cycle starts to build up slowly. Then you have a war. You know, World War II happens, and you've got to go into debt. And then this thing goes up. Finally, you get to 73 and 74, and all of a sudden, you have that first debt challenge, and you get a serious recession, and you blow up a little bit of that debt. And then you start this second 40-year phase that we're in now. But the difference is, instead of starting it with no debt, you started with a pretty good basis of debt, at least vis-a-vis -vis that period of time. And now it just grows parabolically. So now you've got paper out there in the banks and every other financial institution that's completely worthless because they sold the same debt over and over. And that's fine as long as you're growing and as long as things are expanding. But when you reach the limits of your expansion, you're left with contraction, and that's what's going on now. And all of a sudden, you don't have good investments. The banks know that they're bad investments because, in most cases, they package them, or the brokers that they work with package them. So they know what's in those packages, and it's just a matter of time now. And, and it's not anything unnatural. That's what I wanted to point out. This is, remember we were talking about, this is a, a, a world of, uh, we live on a planet of duality and a planet of cycles. This is just a cycle doing what it's done before, and it's doing it a little bit different this time because although people are the same, uh, and we act the same way, and our responses are the same, that's what, that's what makes it all the same, uh, as you move forward in time, the ability to be more creative seems to happen. So we have more creative financial things uh, that happen, and all that does is it just exacerbates the problem. With the, the creativity isn't what you would hope it to be, which would be, oh, we've got creative minds, let's stop this from happening, let's pay down some of this debt, let's see if we can't do this here. That's not what it's about. It's like, let's expand this debt. And you notice, you know, what is their methodology? We have a debt problem. Everybody knows what the problem is. The problem is too much debt. And, not, and deficits and things of that nature. So the problem is pretty clear. And, and somebody somewhere has come up with a thought, and the thought is, hey, I had an idea. Why don't we create more debt to solve this debt problem? And everybody at the table went, hey, that's a good idea. And meanwhile, you and I are pounding our heads on the table going, what? <laughs> no, that's not the way it works. It's, but the funny thing is, when you're in the midst of that, Somebody comes out and says it and tells people, and people in our industry who should know better uh, kind of nod their heads up and down and, and go, yeah, that, yeah uh, that, that seems like a good idea, and, and look where we are. So, but, but the funny part is it's, we're, just, we're just reliving history. We're, do, we're doing history. We're doing the same thing that people did 80 years ago. Uh, if you saw the movie Great Gatsby, uh, you know, it, it's a little, little bit different time, but it's a romancing of opulence, right? Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, that's what's happening at the top of the cycle. Now, we're looking around and going, gee, where's the opulence here? But it's that top 1%. It's never been greater in the history of the planet. 
the opulence in that top 1%, what is, you've probably seen the numbers. I, I saw them recently and I forgot what they were, but that 1% has the equivalent of all the other wealth on the planet of the 99%, something like that? Yes, it was astounding. I mean, it's just unbelievable amount of wealth that's never been that, that big. And it's just kind of like Great Gatsby before Wall Street came down in 1929. And right now, what's going on, if you think about it, safe money is getting driven out into the stock market. And if you're in smart money in bonds, smart money always moves first. The guys in the bonds are going, let's see, I'm paying, a, I'm paying 150 which which means 1500 for for a bond that's going to mature to 1000 So let's see, that's a guaranteed loss if I hold it. And they're not paying me much to do this. And they're going to, that's ridiculous. At least some of them are. So they're pulling money out of bonds. And where are they going? They're not going to go into real estate because it's too illiquid. And maybe you're going to have the same problem that you had in 2008. And real so estate point, prices aren't exactly low right now either. No, exactly. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, that, there's another situation there. So now you've got safe money coming into the stock market. You've got bond money coming into the stock market. And the bond market's, what, four or five times bigger than the stock market? Uh, and the third area is foreign money. If you're a foreigner and you've got money and the freedom to move your money, wouldn't you think that you should put some of that money in the United States? And you're going, well, you know, if I invest in the United States and their stock market's doing pretty well, their market's going up, so I'm going to do well on my money in the market there, at least they assume they are, and I'm going to change from my currency, the euro, to the dollar, and I'm going to, I'm going to win twice, right? I mean, that's, that's the argument. So, so some of this foreign money's coming over to the stock market too. So, what we have is we have a bull market now that's just made new highs. It's just stepped into a new high ground in a lot of the indices. And if you look at it on the chart, it's horrifying. I mean, if you, you look at it, you go, doesn't this look like 2000? Doesn't this look like 2007? And you go, yeah, and, and worse. But, but the point is, it's a bull market for all the wrong reasons, and yet everybody's getting pushed there. And it's just like the tech stocks in uh, leading into the 2000 top. People got pulled into that market. You know, this, we're not getting pulled into this market. We're getting pushed into it. Mm -hmm. A little bit different. I mean, we're getting pushed because we're getting pushed out of other things that we might want to be in. I mean, in November of 1981, for example, I mean, you had your peak in inflation in 1980. Um uh, this is somewhat timely. I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. I had a friend who came to me uh, at about that time, uh, probably 1980, just leading into that time. And he says, hey, he says, we've got a great idea. I wanted to get your opinion on it. We're going to do something called the permanent portfolio. I said, that's great. Well, he, he passed away. But anyway, he says, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do a quarter in stocks, a quarter in bonds, a quarter in gold, and a quarter in real estate. And I said, great, great thought uh, uh, and great marketing. And he said, yeah, you can't lose. And I said, well, I said, Wes, I said, do you want my opinion on this? He said, yeah, that's why I'm sharing it with you. And I said, well, normally, you, you, I said, you've got a real winner there. But I said, I, I think, and again, being a cycles guy, I said, this is the one time in the cycle where I wouldn't suggest that you do it now. I, I, would, I would wait and say, oh, we're already going to do it. And I, 
he says, said, why do you think that? And I said, well, look what's going on. I said, we've got runaway inflation now going into 1980. A gold, you know, $800 an ounce on its way to, to, to a high. I said, you've got real estate up. You've got the stock market up. You know, and, and bonds aren't doing so hot because interest rates are going up. So I said, you're, you're good three for four. But I said, look what's going to happen. I said, you're going to peak in inflation. That's going to stop your gold from going up. Uh, it's going to turn your stock market down. And interest rates are still going up. So that's going to kill your real estate market. And bonds are already doing horribly. I said, you don't want to do this now. Anyway, they did, and it lasted for about six months and, and, and fell apart. But that's the benefit of, of knowing the cycle. And the difference then is, at least if you didn't want to be in the stock market, you could have, even in, for example, November of 1981, here you are a year, almost two years later, but interest rates were still going up, and you could have gotten... Uh, probably 18% on a money market fund and 15% in a treasury bill. Uh -huh. What a beautiful deal if you could do that now. Uh -huh. I mean, assuming that uh, they were safe. You right. know, that, that's the other problem. Yeah. Well, we've been talking a lot about the gloomy side. So what's coming up in the next few years where people might be able to make some money? If, if we're thinking real estate is looking high, interest rates might go up, which can definitely put a damper on real estate and the bond market. Uh, we're not thinking the dollar is going to be able to stay that strong uh, because of debt, catching up with it eventually. So what is your longer-term plan? Well, I think what you've got to do is assume that history is going to uh, continue to unfold the way it has in the past because it's never really veered from that. I mean, you can veer in the short term. But the big picture, when you build up debt like this, uh, ultimately it's defaulted on. And it's defaulted on for, uh, even if people don't want to default on it, if they don't have the ability to pay for it, you have no other choice. So that's probably what we're looking at. We're looking at a debt default. And we're looking at it across the board. So what is probably in the works right now uh, with the banks is I think you're going to have... Um, a currency reset of, of some type. You mentioned the dollar being overvalued and, and so forth. Currencies are, are all messed up. You've got a situation now coming out where the United States was the reserve currency for the world. That's really run its course. Again, that's another, that's another uh, you know, you're, you're looking at that long, long cycle on that. That's lasted for many, many decades. And now what's happened, I mean, if you think about it, if you go back to 1970, when we were probably at the peak of our nation, I mean, we were number one in everything then, now we're not. Um, the, the, at that point, it made great sense. Uh, but now, uh, how much sense does it make to have the largest debtor nation on the planet be the reserve currency for the world? Is there anything more ridiculous than that? Yeah, I mean, we don't even hear that in the news, but it, it, could there be anything that makes less sense than that? Oh, gee, we're the dollar, we're the reserve currency for the world, we're the largest debtor on the nation. Oh, and by the way, our government might be closing down here because we can't pay for the Department of you know, Homeland Security and blah, 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 whatever, whatever pops up every few months that, where we almost have to close the doors. So it's ridiculous. 
So you've got to have a situation that comes up where they, they, they do something with the currencies. You're going to have to back the currencies with something, with assets. That's got to happen. Right now you've got the dollar and it's backed by what? Oh, the good faith and credit of the United States? Oh, that's fine if you're talking to a country that likes us, but it seems, unfortunately, that less and less countries are, are liking us at the moment, and therefore, if they don't like you, they're probably not going to feel too good about the good faith and credit of the U.S., so that's got to change. So you've got to have, um, you've got to have uh, I think, the countries getting together and probably coming out with a basket of currencies, and maybe that's not the be-all, end-all, but they've got to get something that works because you have to have... Uh, world commerce. We all need each other. So that's got to happen, and it's got to bring people to the table soon. Um, I think that you're going to have to put uh, some gold backing and some silver backing uh, into that package. What else are you going to be able to back it with? I mean, you, you may be able to put together a basket of, uh, of assets, uh, the Middle East countries and some of the other countries have oil and uh, some, some of these countries may have timber and rubber and, you know, whatever. But they've got to put that together, and I would have to think that, they, that they'd be working on that. So one of the areas uh, that you have to look at for stability still is probably gold and silver. And in 2011, uh, we probably had a little bit too many people rushing to that market, and you ran prices way up, and but now they've come down. So, uh, and, and I think what people have to realize is that when you get into this phase of the cycle, you, you, don't, have a, you don't have a good ruler anymore to, uh, to uh, you know, a yardstick to, to measure investments anymore, uh, do we? Because, in other words, what, what do we look at for stability to measure it? To some degree, it used to be the dollar, and you'd measure everything in terms of dollars, and then all of a sudden you look at the dollar, and it's all over the place. Uh, so then you want to use gold as a measuring device, uh, and it goes from, you know, under 1,200 to almost 2,000 and stuff like that. So right now you've got a time where any yardstick that you want to select to measure the value of something, you've got rubber flexible yardsticks. And uh, so what you have to do on that is not be so concerned with the price of the investment and what it translates to in terms of whatever your home currency is, but you have to kind of make some decisions based on inherent safety uh, so that if things happen and the value of things fall apart, you have to have something of value. So maybe you have a good piece of real estate or, I mean, you know, farmland, something productive, things of that nature, some gold, some silver, probably some cash. Uh, the dollar is probably not going to completely go away, and uh, the bottom line is you're probably going to have to have, you're going to have to have currencies within countries, so whether they get rid of the euro or not, uh, certainly the individual countries will have their own currencies, so probably you, you know, you create a, try to pick a basket of currencies of uh, things that are, you know, at the moment fairly stable, I mean the Singapore dollar, uh, the Swiss franc seems to hold its value pretty well. <clears throat> so things of that nature and, and you know, be out of debt and things that can, I think what you want to be out of is, is invest, things are going to go up and down. We can't do anything about that. But as far as safe money, I think you want to be in things that aren't going to just go up in a cloud of smoke. 
and, and that, for example, paper investments, um, like the CDOs that, that went back in 2008. So you've got to avoid that type of investment. And oddly enough, the stock market uh, may not be a bad place because it's going to survive. What's going to happen there is things are going to go up and down in value like crazy, but uh, as long as you have a decent custodian, and that, that becomes a, a much more difficult question, uh, I mean, now it's not just the concern of the investment vehicle that I put my money in, uh, which used to be the only concern. Now the concern is, uh, now I have my money invested in this vehicle or these vehicles, and then the question becomes, oh, really, where do you have that money? Right, and what's their financial status? Exactly, yeah. Do, do you have it at the bank? Do you, do you have it in a brokerage house? You're not with Bear Stearns, are you? <laughs> Human brothers, <laughs> <I> mean, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and that's a horrible joke because Bear Stearns, uh, I think, was founded in 1923 or something like that and, and made it through the Depression. And frankly, if you want to take the other one, Lehman Brothers, they were founded in 1850. They made it through two depressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it's, um, it's remarkable to see where we are. And, and, it's, and the unfortunate thing is, in, throughout my whole career, I've always had an answer for safety. And it was always quick because, I, you know, because it's on my mind regardless of whether it's a good market or a bad market. So it was always, that was always the easiest question. What do you do with your safe money? Now I can give you an answer right off the, right off the bat. And now I can't give you an answer without uh, a great deal of conditioned, conditional responses. You know, this is safe if. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a horrible thing to say to people. But, but you know, the, you know, the other alternative is, you know, you're either ignorant of what's going on, so you're giving them bad advice due to your ignorance, that doesn't work very well. And then the other choice is, well, you know, you stretch the truth a little bit and let them know that everything's okay. That isn't right either. So it's, a, it's, a, it's seriously a tough time. And, um, and the funny part is uh, everybody talks about um, diversification. And, and, and my thought is really, you know, I said, can you name somebody who's very wealthy who made it through diversification? Right. You know, they, they didn't, did they? No, they didn't. They, they made it. The way you make money, you know, I've heard is that I put my money uh, in a few baskets and I watch those baskets very closely. And, Andrew, and that was Andrew Carnegie's people, quote, actually. Yeah, most of these people who make a lot of money put it in one basket and watch it real closely. Well, that that actually was Andrew Carnegie's quote, was I was uh, to build wealth, put all your money in one basket and then watch that basket. Yeah. But I think, you know, you're a tremendous investor, money manager, and what I see in good investors is that they're always looking toward the future. They're always, they're not looking in the rearview mirror. They're not looking at what's been a good investment because those circumstances that got us to that point are no longer there. We're now moving into the next phase. And it's important for people to have some foresight in order to look ahead and see what's coming. And that's what's so hard for people, I think, is that with the dollar having been strong and having been a a tremendous currency in the world's reserve currency, people cannot foresee 
you know, the problems that are going to happen in the future. But if you think about it, and you've talked and explained it extremely well, uh, if people can take a forward-looking view, I think they can anticipate, and by anticipating then can be in some better investments that will do well for them, rather than just being reactionary and, you know, not really understanding what's coming up ahead. Yeah, and, you know, the funny thing, one of the, the first thing that people have to get over is, uh, you know, if you're talking about, you know, talking about depression, now this typical investor, uh, uh, and it's funny, uh, Bob Tractor was asked a question, uh, um, I, I always like this answer, He's, I think the question was, what do, what do I do to, um, you know, not be the average investor, or, or you know, uh, how do I avoid being the average investor? And I, and I probably didn't get that right, but that was the basis of the question. And Bob's answer was, stop being the average investor. Stop, you know, and, and I thought, what a great answer. Really, what a terrific answer. I, mean, I don't know if that's the answer that they wanted, but stop being the average investor, which means, you know what? Do a little homework. It's not illegal. Don't believe everything you hear. Do your own work. Take a look at some things. Find a good model. Find somebody who's done well and ask them. Uh, things like that. That that's how you start. That's how you begin to stop being the average investor. Yeah, and really and, understand cycles, and that, as you said, cycles repeat, and they help us forecast what's coming. And the beauty of that is that can certainly help you do much better in investing. Yeah, I mean the other thing is don't label. Stop labeling. And what I mean by that is. Uh, I was uh, in a conference in San Francisco about two weeks before the top, and uh, I was uh, in '87, and uh, in mid-August of '87, it topped on August 25th, and then crashed in, in early October. But uh, it was a very bullish conference. I was extraordinarily unpopular. I was uh, bearish, along with um, uh, Richard Russell of uh, Dow Theory Letters, and we were the only two. Uh, and, but the point is, I was talking at that conference, and a lady raised her hand, and she said, Mr. Jones, isn't that negative? And I thought, <laughs> and I, I, said, I said, and I was in San Francisco, my answer was, uh, was kind of interesting, I remember this, just because it, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> I said, excuse me, I said, may I ask you a question? And she said, yes. And I said, I said, you're here in San Francisco. I don't know if you're here from San Francisco or not. She said, well, I'm not. And I said, well, are you going to go shopping this afternoon? Figured that she might. And she said, well, yes, I am. I said, are, are you going to be going across the street there to the uh, to the shopping center over there? She said, well, yes, yes. Uh, and I said, let me ask you something. I said, will you go across the street there? Because there's a lot of traffic down there. I said, are you just going to bolt across the street or are you going to wait for the light and then look both ways? And she said, well, of course I am. I said, can I ask you one more question? He said, well, yes. And I said, isn't that a little negative? <laughs> and she stopped and, you know, and I said, I said, look, I said, that's all I'm doing. I said, I'm at the corner. I'm looking, I'm seeing there's a lot of traffic, you know. So I'm just waiting for a clear time to go across. I'm not just bolting across the street. I said, you don't want to label this. I said, we've got a market that's overvalued, it's stretched out, P.E. ratios are high. Everybody, if you go to this room here and we ask people, I said, I'm going to do it right now. I said, how many people in this room are invested in the market? Everybody raised their hand. I said, okay. I said, if this were the universe of investors 
And it kind of is in this country. I said, we're just a sample here. I said, everybody's invested. Now I'm going to ask them another question. I said, how many people are fully invested or pretty close to it? Raise your hand. Everybody raise their hand. I said, look, everybody in the room is fully invested. You know, you're all bullish. And I said, let me ask you a question now. Where's the money going to come from to drive the market higher if everybody's fully invested? And by the way, what happens if there's somebody in here that's really smarter, maybe three or four people, and they start to take profits? What's the market going to do? I said, so is that negative? It's, you know, I said, if you're going across the sidewalk and you're in the middle of the crosswalk and a car's coming, do you want me to yell to get out of the way or should I just keep my mouth shut because that's negative? I said, don't label. I love that, Garrett. Oh my gosh, that is fantastic. I think that's a good ending point for us today. This has been so amazing. You've given great information. How can people contact you if they want to get in touch with you and learn more? Uh, well, phone. I'm still uh, old-fashioned enough to have a phone, so uh, 925-820-0161 is my phone number, and email is Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, 111 at Comcast.net. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope to talk with you again soon, and I just hope ev- all of our listeners pay attention because you are telling them about what's coming down the street. So I hope they actually are, are paying good attention. You're telling them the truth. So. <laughs> well, I'm doing certainly what I perceive to be the truth. So uh, thanks so much, Linda. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. My pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.